0: Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Reel, and I am thrilled to be sitting with you today and having this conversation. When you're doing a podcast, when you're doing something that has an audience, and when the things that you're talking about are newsworthy or important to people in their lives, what you find happens over time is that people begin to reach out to you. With inside information. So today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I know or have heard and I want to start off by telling you a story. So I thought it'd be fun because General Conference is about a month away and we uh, as a as a people, as a collective people have been told to take our vitamins. Take your vitamins. There's lots of cool stuff coming. And sources, people who listen to the podcast, who uh, enjoy this program, reach out to me. They reach out to Radio Free Mormon, and then and I know they reach out to others. You know, John Dolin gets messages. Gina Colvin gets messages. Being in the public arena comes with a benefit of having people who are on the inside reach out to you. And so today, I wanted to share an interesting story that I've been told. Uh, and I also wanted, and I've heard this story from one particular source, but I also had this story verified, uh, bits and pieces of it by other sources. Then when we get done telling the story, I want to share with you what some of the other things these sources are saying about what's being talked about at church headquarters. And what I'm hopeful you'll do just to put me to the test is that you'll keep a running list going. Make a list of everything here I say. And I will put this list on our podcast. And every time one of these changes happens, we will put a check mark next to it. Now, I want to say up front, when you share the things that you are hearing that the church is talking about doing or is going to do, there is a risk that they... Because they don't want you to be ahead of it, they push some of these things back. There's also the possibility they pull it off the table completely. Um, In in discussing these things, I'm simply going to put out there that I think half of these are going to happen regardless of whether we talk about them or not. The other half, uh, the church could see me being out in front of it as reason to, to push them way off into the future or to take them off the table completely. But to the LDS Church, I would say that uh, that would be a lose-lose, and here's why. If you push these things further away or don't do them at all simply because Bill Real talked about it first, then all you're doing is driving a deeper wedge between you and your younger members on things that you know you need to change on, to keep those members going to church. In other words, you and I both know you're trying to soften the church up so that our younger people stay. And uh, and if you, because of me, decide not to do these changes, then you're only hurting yourself. On the other hand, if you do go ahead and do these things that you're talking about, well, then what happens is that everybody says Bill real has got an inside source, uh, and it looks as though Bill Reel has called it that you've made a ton of changes because of the fact that the dynamic of the church has changed to the point where when people find information, they let go of deference to you, authority in you, and they start to deconstruct their religious system. So now with that said, the story I want to tell you, I also have to preface this story by saying, um, while I have heard this story from multiple sources, that I have to also be responsible uh, and say that this is the story as I understand it. This is allegedly what has happened. Um, I'm fairly confident in this story. uh, Very confident, to be honest. And uh, again, we've checked a lot of the data points out. We've checked with other sources to verify parts of it. So I'm confident in the story. But I do have to use the word allegedly uh, because obviously when you impose that something is the way it is, uh, there is some risk. And so as our journalistic duty, we're going to report this story. uh, And I hope that you'll take it seriously and look up the data yourselves. And if anybody out there can verify even further this story, I would welcome uh, that. And I will put anybody who uh, can verify that they have a connection to this story uh, and that they know that the details here are true to reach out to us. So City Creek Mall has been an interesting thing because uh, us as members of the church, we, we had to get used to the fact that our, our religious system is trying to create other financial streams. And the City Creek Mall was one that was deeply irritating because here we've got President Monson outside cutting ribbons and telling people, let's go shopping and taking money from the church and using it in a ton of uh, investment ideas, including City Creek, but also rodeo stadiums and land deals in Florida and other places. But this story, it goes much further. The, The average membership recognizes like, oh, the church got involved in this mall thing, and they spent a lot of money, and they say it's not tithing funds, but it sure seems like it. But this story goes way, way deeper than that, allegedly. The Gateway Mall was the newest mall in Salt Lake City before City Creek. Prior to the 2002 Olympics, the Gateway Mall is built by the Boyer Group. The Boyer Group is a real estate company that is that was headed up by Roger Boyer and Kem Gardner. They are a real estate management group, and they got together, started this real estate management group, and the big project that as they, as they became more prominent, as they had more money, as they took on this Gateway project. And so the Gateway Mall uh, built in 2002, I believe, is the year that Wikipedia points to uh, it being built. The Gateway cost $375 million. And it began as part of the city's urban redevelop- redevelopment project. And the first phase was done prior to the 2002 Winter Olympics that was held in Utah. The first phase of 2.1 million square feet of mixed-use development included office complexes, the Northgate Apartments, the Renovated Depot. Other highlights include the Clark Planetarium, the Megaplex 12 at the Gateway, the Discovery Gateway Children's Museum, the Office of the Salt Lake Tribune newspaper, Midikai Neapolitan Pizza, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe I'm not. Dave & Buster's and GameWorks. The tracks... Light Rail Line has a stop at the Planetarium Station on the east side of the center, uh, which is the UTA's free fare zone. The, Vivi, the Vivint Smart Home Arena is crossed the street to the east. In 2004, a 12-story high-rise condominium, the park at the gateway, was built overlooking the Olympic Legacy Plaza, with some units selling in excess of $500,000 each in the northeast corner an eight-story 230,000 square foot office tower for more than 1200 employees was in- completed in 2007 for the sole occupancy of Fidelity Investments there so that's the gateway project and this mall was big and it was a huge part of the renovation of Salt Lake City so here you have 2002 2003 2004 you have the Boyer Group doing all of this development. In 2003, unbeknownst to everybody, a for-profit arm of the church buys the land that's going to become City Creek. So here you have 2003, a profit arm of the church, but obviously under a different name. It wouldn't be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It would be one of these other essentially dummy companies that the church has, Uh, which has its own name, buying a chunk of land. And so nobody has any kind of red flags yet. But it says development of the City Creek Center began in 2003 when a for-profit company owned by the LDS Church purchased the Crossroads Plaza Mall, a shopping center on the west side of Main Street from the ZCMI Center Mall. Both malls, known unofficially as the Main Street Malls, had been constructed in the 1970s. In 2001, the Boyer Company completed its new open-air mall called The Gateway, four blocks to the west of Crossroads and ZCMI, drawing more business away from Main Street. Soon after, the Nordstrom store at Crossroads announced its intentions to leave the mall, open a new store at Gateway. The LDS Church purchased the mall in 2003 and then began to plan redevelopment of the area. Now, Kem Gardner... As part of the Boyer Group, Kem K E M G A R D uh, N E R is uh, has close ties to the church, and has had a relationship with the church that has involved a deep sense of loyalty. So the church has just bought a chunk of land that it is going to develop and create the City Creek Mall but it also has this member of the church that it feels a sense of loyalty and obligation to to protect, who's invested in another mall four blocks away. Allegedly, the church, in doing Kem a favor, notify him that he will want to sell his interest tied to the Gateway Project as the church is working on a project themselves that will deeply diminish the Gateway Project's value. In other words, Imagine your good friend is four blocks away from you operating a company and you decide and you know you're going to be the big man on the ca- on campus and you're going to start a very similar company four blocks away. Now, you've got this relationship with your friend, but you're still going to carry out your plan regardless. So what do you do? You give your friend the heads up. You say, look, you're going to want to get out of this uh space that you're in. You're going to want to sell your interest. You're going to want to move out of this thing. Because if you don't, you're going to lose. You're going to stand to lose a lot of money. So Kem, realizing what is all about to go down, decides that he is going to come up with a story that he's going to step down from the Gardner group, allegedly. And on May 25th, 2004, it was announced that Kem Gardner was leaving the Boyer group. He sells his interest and avoids losing millions due to the upcoming City Creek Mall, making, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the reports were that he sold his interest in the Boyer Group for $43 million. The Gardner-Boyer partnership is responsible for more than 120 projects over the past three decades, the newspaper in 2004 said. About half of those have been completed in the past 10 to 12 years as the state has experienced accelerated growth. We were trying to look the future of the company and it became apparent to both of them that the company ought to be owned by one family going forward said steve osler president and chief executive officer of the boyer company it could be difficult to have second generations from two families trying to run a company the boyer company is probably best known for its development of the gateway shopping center in downtown salt lake city one of its most expensive and largest projects the company also developed the one utah center office tower in the business depot ogden An 1118 acre military installation transformed into a master planned business park. So, Kem sells his interest in the Boyer Group, makes a ton of money just before City Creek is announced. And the church had given Kem the heads up. In October of 2006, the concept design of City Creek Center was announced publicly. The trouble was that City Creek thought they were going to be able, much easier, to attract anchor stores. Now, by anchor store, I mean the big stores, the ones that drive the business. People uh, say, look, I've got to go out and I want to go to this store. When you have a mall, you have to have five or six or seven serious anchor stores in your mall to drive the traffic to your to your facility. And when the church announced City Creek, several anchor stores that were at the Gateway Mall were hesitant to make the move. They were already happy with where they were at. And a particular store, Nordstrom's, was giving the church a lot of resistance, giving the project a lot of resistance about putting a spot, putting, you know, taking up a space at City Creek. Nordstrom's and the other anchor stores were hesitant to join the City Creek project, allegedly. The church cannot afford for this project to fall on its face, so it intervenes. The church goes to several of these anchor stores, and Nordstrom's is the only one that was mentioned by name to me. The anchor stores, again specifically Nordstrom's, were given a special deal, an order in order to convince them to move into the space. So here's what happens. The church starts the project. Now it's going, "Uh uh-oh, there's a problem. These major stores aren't going to move over to our space and Nordstrom's isn't going to come in either. So we're going to have to do something. We cannot have this project fail. So the church ends up reaching out to Nordstrom's and other anchor stores and allegedly makes them an offer of 10 years of lease space at city creek at no charge the church then also ups the offer allegedly by offering to pay for all the employees salaries at these anchor stores again specifically nordstrom's for three years so imagine this you see your project's going to fail so you go to the big stores and you say look I, we got to have you here. It, we have to have you. This thing will fall on its face if we don't have you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you ten. the first 10 years of your retail space is going to be on us. And we're going to pay your employee salaries for three years. Imagine getting that deal as Nordstrom's or some of these other anchor stores. It You would be blown away. So you're like, okay, great. Now we're in. No problem. Let, where do I sign? Let's do it. And so these stores get an incredible setup that is taken care of by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The church could not afford for this project to fail. So while all of us tell ourselves stories about the amount of money that we publicly can point to about how much City Creek Mall cost, the reality is the cost expended into the City Creek project is significantly more than that the church went above and beyond to make sure that this project didn't fail and behind in the shadows paid certain particular stores huge incentives to be part of this. So again, if this is the case, can you imagine how close to ethical, unethical, how dirty some of that feels? Now, now you have to look back too and say like, what happened to the Gateway Mall? Well, The Anchor Store is all left. The church opens up uh, the City Creek Center. And the Gateway Mall becomes a shell of its past vibrancy. And as you can imagine, the Boyer Group stood to lose and lost a ton of money as the Gateway Mall became a ghost town. But there's more than that. So Kem Gardner having made a ton of money off of this uh, inf- inside information that he got allegedly Kem Gardner reaches back out to the church and donates to them a log cabin. Log cabin when I say log cabin I don't just mean like a 400 square foot beat down you know old worn out cabin. Rather I'm talking a really nice 2800 square foot log cabin that is uh, a nice, nice piece of property. My understanding is that it is Elder Uckdorf, President Uckdorf at the time, uh, who received this cabin. This cabin is his. The transaction was done for a low price. I think it was done for one dollar. And so if anybody knows where this cabin is, we can try to track down the, the real estate transfer and see what we can find out there. Uh, we have not been able to do that yet, but it appears, again, allegedly, that Kem Gardner thanked the church for this piece of inside information by donating a really nice piece of real estate property to the church and to specifically one of its leaders. So again, I'm going to say that if there's anybody out there who can add uh, verification or can add details to this story that uh, we welcome it. Um, but I'm confident in this story. Again I don't I don't have proof and all I have are uh, more than one source disconnected from each other, telling me that this is what happened. Now unbeknownst to them, Vestar bought the Gateway project, from the Boyer group. And Vestar is a development company that came in and said, Look, we're gonna we're gonna take this Gateway Mall that is now a ghost town, and we're gonna throw a ton of cash into it to renovate it. But what Vestar does not know is the deals that have been made behind closed doors with these anchor stores so as to make it impossible. For them to have any chance to draw those stores over the next few decades. In other words, if the church gives you 10 free years of lease space, my gut tells me that you're going to have to sign up for more than those 10 years because on some level to give it to you for free only to have you leave at the end of that doesn't make any sense at all. And so my intuition says that the lease agreements between these anchor stores in the City Creek Mall are for a much longer time period than those 10 years, which locks those companies in and prevents any chance of negotiating with those anchor stores from any other mall and having any chance to win them over. So now Vestar owns the Gateway Mall. The Boyer Group has essentially sold off its entire rights to that. It, It no longer has an interest in it. And now it's up to Vestar to turn the gateway uh, project, the gateway area, uh, into something more dynamic and vibrant. But they don't even know the odds that are stacked against them. Now, I know that there will be people out there who say, Bill, you're, you keep saying allegedly you're throwing this around like, you know, like it could be true. It could not be true. Um, I'm simply going to ask if, if people want to try and verify any of this or prove any of this is incorrect uh, I'm happy to, to engage that conversation. Now, I want to get into... So what I have are about four sources. I say about because uh, I believe that two of the four sources may have a little bit of a connection. In other words, they're hearing the information kind of from the same space. and And so I don't have a way to verify it as four separate things going on. And one of these sources out of these four is higher up in the church, and not higher up like, hey, he's just an average Joe, but he works at the church, and he serves on a committee or two, but higher up. The church is dealing with a serious issue. We know that Mormon Leaks leaked uh, some years ago a video that shows the church talking about how it it is losing its younger members like a sieve. They reported that 73% of all members are inactive by the age of 21, It's about uh, 78% uh, outside the United States, and it's about 68% inside the United States that are inactive by the age of 21. The leaders of the church framed it as stating that the church is no longer an intergenerational church, meaning that while the old people are here and they're locked in and they're loyal, there's no promises that their children or grandchildren are going to be. And so the church, from being what it is today to being a shell of itself, is only a generation or two away if they don't address the concerns. So what the church did was it began to form committees, and some of these committees don't know about each other, but they formed, They formed committees to talk about various issues going on in the church and how to address them. My one, so, so my one source is able to tell me the list of things that they are considering doing. My other sources have been able to verify pieces and parts as they are connected to those things. Now, I get it. This is an episode entirely based on some level of speculation. But I'm also telling you that I am confident in this list. And so what I would do is write these down. And again, I will put these in the show notes. We can revisit these every six months. We can look at General Conference and we can say, is the church doing these things? I already spoke about one of these earlier uh, this week or last week, talking about the church uh, looking to make a change with the Word of Wisdom to allow coffee uh, and tea. The young members of the church, Jana Reese has reported that 40% of Mormons, younger Mormons are using coffee And they're still going to the temple anyway and they just disregard leaders as being able to uh, impose on them that they can't go they just they just don't care they're just not giving the deference to the leadership so coffee is an obstacle to the authority of the leadership and so the leadership wants to remove that obstacle so that these kids cannot say like i just ignore what those old guys say Um, but that's only the first thing so coffee and tea the church has formed a committee to evaluate what loopholes there are in making space in the word of wisdom to allow its members to drink coffee and tea. Number one. Number two, there is a conversation going on inside the church about only wearing garments inside the temple. Our younger members see the garment as atrocious looking, as not fashionable, and they uh, are not wearing it or have a lack of respect for it. And I don't mean respect in the way like being disrespectful towards it, but just not they're like, like, I'm just not going to wear that. I'm going to dress nice and I'm just not going to wear that. So again, anytime there's an obstacle that allows a member to ignore, the top leadership, the church is wanting to remove that obstacle. So there's a conversation going on about garments only being worn inside the temple. Number three, to revamp the missionary system, to significantly increase service missions over time and to create some sort of local mission system. The church had 55,000 missionaries prior to the age change, the lowering of the missionary age for girls to 19 and for boys to 18. The church is scared to death. Now that, now that that age change has run its course, the church is down to 65,000 missionaries, 10,000 more than it had before the name or before the age change. And the church is scared to death that that number is going to keep going down. The church is looking to do two things. One is that people who have good mission experiences tend to be more loyal and active in the church. The second is that they don't want the critics pointing at this number because the moment the 65,000 drops down below 55,000, the critics can, with confidence, point at the church and say, look, we know undoubtedly right now that the church is shrinking. The number of active missionaries out is one of the greatest signs of the faithfulness and the active missionaries the, the number of active members in the church. It's a beautiful little piece of the pie to look at and be able to tell us about the entire pie. So that's number three. Number four, and I mentioned this before, they are looking to decentralize the financial responsibilities of the church based on geography. Here's what this means. The church is now growing in areas that are financially draining on the system. And the church is now shrinking in the places where tithing funds uh, are coming in at a faster rate than the welfare needs of that area. So what the church sees is that going forward, it's going to have to focus its growth on areas that are in poverty and areas that have, lack, have a lack of information. But to do this, the church is going to lose a lot of money and it doesn't want to do that. It wants to have the best of both worlds. To have the best of both worlds, it needs to decentralize the financial responsibilities of the church. So what's going to happen is that each country where the church resides, that location, that, that region, that district, that, that boundary is going to have to fend for themselves. So in Guatemala, for instance, let's just use that as an example. And I don't know how they're going to break up the boundaries of this, but what's going to happen is let's just say Guatemala as a country is the boundary. Guatemala is going to be responsible. Whatever tithing funds come into Guatemala, uh, whatever whatever needs exist in Guatemala, Guatemala the, the members of the church are going to have to uh, resolve those issues within their geographic location Without drawing money from Salt Lake City. And so they're going to be responsible to bring in enough funds to cover their cost. Now, I'm sure there's going to be ways in which the church is still going to assist and help. But they are going to create a system by which it is much more difficult for people to simply use North America's tithing production to fund Guatemala's church needs and so you're going to see this decentralization take place number 5 relief society and women generally are going to be given further increased roles and the one that i'm hearing that's going to be coming soon is some level of formal permission to give blessings and they're going to be they're going to have an increased ability to carry out functions previously limited to men now i can absolutely promise you it is march 2nd i was having this conversation with both my sources as well as those closest to me uh in my friendships about this very list of things before the church yesterday released a a statement from the first presidency allowing women with children to be temple workers essentially ordinance workers That's the very thing I'm talking about here. But I had received this information before that had gone out. Now, that's not the only thing that's going to happen. There is going to be a list of things that are going to happen. And I would expect these changes to occur over the next decade or two. Now, that maybe feels like, oh, Bill, you're telling us something that's going to happen over 20 years. We want to see it happen now to see that you're right. I'm sorry. In this church, there's a long game. Even when I was told in 2012 that the gospel topic essays were just around the corner, a few months away, it ended up being another year before the first one came out, and, in a, and in two or three years before uh, they had all come out. And so you're going to have to be patient. So again, sisters being given formal permission to give blessings, even though some women are already doing it, the church is needing all women in the church to recognize like, Hey, we're giving you an increased role. So that's coming. Number six, increased visible charitable spending. Again, I was having this conversation uh, before the $2 million went into the, the international African American museum center for family history. So before the church made that donation, I was already having this conversation. Now, I don't expect people to believe that, but choose to believe what you want. I'm happy to have one of my friends come on here at some point and we'll have a conversation about this conversation that took place uh, before this announcement of the donation. But you're going to see more of this. You're going to see the church donate money to good causes, but they're going to do it in ways that they get to get a pat on the back. It's visible donations. They want to get the credit. They want to be seen as doing it because they recognize that the younger members perceive that this church is not a very good steward of its money. It sees all this money being invested and spent, but not on good causes. It sees and hears about all these land deals, uh, about all this spending, trying to create other financial streams. And it sees so little money going into any kind of actual charity humanitarian effort to, to take care of people in this world. And our younger generation is much more concerned with those things. And so the church has to be seen as fixing it. Number seven, the responsibilities of patriarchs is being discussed. Now, what this is one that I think is a little weaker. I don't know what the changes will be or if there will be changes. But I know that there are conversations going on about patriarchs. And the main concern here is that God magic no longer happens and the church takes some risk by having patriarchs lay hands on people's heads and promise them extravagant things like they're going to be around when Jesus comes again. The church is trying to find ways to limit where people can put their foot in their mouth. And so I can tell you that specifically the office of patriarch is being discussed. Number eight, heavenly mother is over time going to be subtly given an increased place within our conversation and our theology the church sees this as one of the very few untapped positives that they have not made good use of and so there are conversations going on at the church office building in various committees or at least a committee about how to implement heavenly mother and that conversation more into our theology it may be simply a mention of heavenly parents more often It may be more conversation of saying heavenly mother at the same time we're saying heavenly father, but by having a heavenly mother, the church sees this as something that separates them from the rest of the world. And it's also something that they've deeply underutilized in an effort to hold up patriarchy. And they know that the young people are not going to stand around for patriarchy. This is one of the avenues that they can take advantage of. Number nine, there are conversations about formal training for bishops. Now, I'm being told that this could be anything from bishops and stake presidents becoming uh, trained full-time positions, or it could be something as small as dynamic training, intensive training for a week, two weeks, three weeks. This is for several reasons. One is the sex abuse cases. The church has got to figure out a way to weed out some of the the bad people and it has to be seen as being accountable to what's happening so on some level it has to start training its bishops and stake presidents the church recognizes that having a full-time educated trained bishop or stake president would deeply uh limit some of that abuse that happens on the other hand they also see that that would be costly to begin to pay as a career, essentially the bishops and stake presidents of the church. It could no longer be a five-year calling. So my gut tells me, and again, uh, there's a wide spectrum here, but my gut tells me that what we're going to end up with is some type of small training program that bishops and stake presidents go through when they are called. But it is, it is, you know, it only lasts a couple of weeks, three weeks, but that it's uh, much more intensive than what the church is currently doing. Number 10, Relief Society Presidency. The General Relief Society Presidency is going to be moved up in terms of visibility and involvement. Again, no promises this happens, but this is the conversation. They are trying to find ways that the younger members can perceive that the General Relief Society Presidency is on some level equal to the top 15 of the church. And they're having conversations about ways in which to add value to the female voice of the church leadership. At the same time, these top 15 men do not want to relinquish the patriarchy or the nepotism that exist, And so these men are searching for ways in which to add visibility and value to the women's voices but without sacrificing too much. Number 11, you are going to see on some level over the next decade or two, women in the church given some sort of responsibility that equates to something similar to the 70s. And these women will be uh, called by the church and will be sent out uh, to travel around and to train and to speak to members of the church. This is also a facet of trying to add value to this voice, to add value to the female voice within the church. There's also an effort being made to do this at other levels of the church. And so there's been conversation had, and it's already taken place with the mission president and his wife, but there's also conversations taking place about how to have this happen at the local level with a bishop and his wife, or a stake president and his wife. Again, we'll see where this goes. Number 12, female missionaries will also be able to serve at the age of 18. That age is going to be lowered. You've got a one-year difference. The church wanted to see what this difference, how how this smaller difference was received and what it meant in terms of consequences and repercussions. And the church seems to be sensing that to have boys and girls both go out at the same age, Uh, makes sense and so the age for women is going to be lowered down to 18 or the men are is going to be raised back up to 19 but if they raise the men up to 19 the church is concerned because it will take a hit in the number of missionaries that are out and again that would add to the critics seeing some level of church of the church diminishing Number 13, this one's been rumored for a long time and the church was on the verge of doing this and then when it got leaked out, the church pulled it back and said, nope, not doing that now. But it is to have the marriage and the sealing be completely separate things so that a couple can go have a, a public wedding, get married, have a celebration, and then two weeks later, they can go to the local temple and be sealed for time and all eternity. This conversation is this still taking place And the church does still want to do this, but they also realize that this is a mechanism that gets people to choose the church over their family. But what the church is now dealing with, my source is telling me that what the church is acknowledging in these committees is that each family now is aware of enough friends or family members who have left the church over no longer believing it to be true that these young people are experiencing a ton of cognitive dissonance over having to choose the temple over their loved ones being at their marriages. So I would expect this change to come soon. The, the faster the rate of people leaving over disbelief occurs, the more cognitive dissonance there is when a member has to choose between their family and their church. The church is deeply bothered by this and is seeking to relinquish those Sophie Choice decisions that members have to make because in the long run, it's the church that's losing as well as the family, but it's the church that's losing. And so the church needs to sacrifice this ground and is talking about how to do that throughout various mechanisms. But this particular one, having marriages and ceilings be separate is the one that I'm hearing is coming here in the near future. Number 14, more policy adjustments regarding protecting children. This uh, this bishop involved in the sex trafficking, who was also involved in law enforcement as his job, this one really got the church. Because what the church realizes is that it cannot be seen as having a safe space for sex trafficking. And this one, more than the McKenna-Denson, more than the other things that have happened, this one really uh, has kind of set the church having to think about this. Prior to this case, too, the church released early one article from its April Ensign on protecting children. And I am hearing that that has some connection to what's going to happen in April at General Conference. Number 16 librarians being done away but this one seems kind of obvious uh, as technology increases as more and more of our materials are on our smart devices in first world countries in developed countries in places where the church uh, members have easy access to technology the library and the word librarian those callings are going to be done away as the church went down to two-hour church, one of the reasons for that is the workforce is burnout. The members are burnt out, and there's less and less members to carry out these callings. So the church is trying to reduce the workload. One way to do that is to uh, get rid of, eliminate callings that are no longer necessary or as necessary. And then the second thing is to allow members who want were unable to do certain responsibilities that only certain members could do, for instance, a priesthood responsibility, and to let now a wider range of members fulfill those responsibilities. So one of the other things they're talking about, number 17, is that the Sunday school presidency, is there room for that to be a female organization or to be both? And then the conversation around that revolves if we allow women to carry out Sunday school callings in terms of the Sunday school presidency do we make a policy that all three have to be women or all three have to be men or do we allow it to be mixed but you can i think anticipate the sunday school presidency to stop being just a male function sometime in the next decade or two and i say decade or two i expect these changes are being spoken of as changes to make over the next 10 years But in a church with this much bureaucracy and a requirement of unity at the top, and with committees and and groups of people having to bounce these ideas around, often these things take years and years beyond the original timeline. Number 18, to do away with fast and testimony meeting, that is being discussed. And one of the options being thrown in that conversation is not to do away with it, but to have Uh, the leaders call and extend an invitation to who's going to speak in that meeting. The church is realizing that to have an open mic is getting more and more risky and is leaving space for more and more people to do damage by standing up and speaking their truth, which contradicts the church. And so the church wants to have more control. And so the easy thing is just to eliminate fast and testimony meeting But they're also considering that those who bear their testimony, because they consider testimony meeting to be an important mechanism in people believing when it's done the way they want it to be done. And so they're also considering having uh, the bishop or bishopric invite members to speak in that meeting. And so it'll no longer just be an open mic where anybody can stand up and talk. Number 19, allow girls to pass the sacrament. I think you're going to see a rule change where they say where uh, there is enough members to support it, the Aaronic Priesthood carries out these duties, and in locations where there is not sufficient amount of Aaronic Priesthood, it is okay for the girls of the church to pass the sacrament. The girls in that same age group to pass the sacrament. Number 20. This one I thought was interesting uh, but it makes sense once I was told it, which is that the church is trying to find ways to allow some individuality outside the United States. And there was just an article yesterday, there was an article t- uh, dated February 26th, so it actually showed up a week ago in a Russian, uh, the MoscowTimes.com, and it says, Russian Mormons search for identity and acceptance in an Amer- in, in American church. But before I saw this article again, I'm hearing a conversation take place on how does the church remove some of its culture, its cultural rules, so as to allow more diversity and more homegrown culture within other geographic locations outside the United States. And the one way that they are talking about is to open up the space for a variety of musical instruments to be used inside the church. Now, I don't think you're going to see them go crazy. I don't think you're going to see live bands and electric guitars and drum sets, uh, at least not drum sets as in like an American style type drum set. But I think what you are going to see is they're going to open up the ability of members in other countries to use instruments that are native to their country, as long as those instruments are not too far out of bounds as the leadership of the church sees it. And so you may see, uh, you know, drums used in Africa. You may start to see certain uh, kinds of instruments used that the handbook at present doesn't allow much space for or condemns entirely. So that these various cultures can play the kinds of music that their culture is accustomed to, and not feel like they're limited. To the three or four things that the church has up to this point imposed number 21 a new handbook is being worked on the church is making so many changes right now that they realize a new handbook is absolutely necessary and so just as the church has gone to two-hour church for instance there are items in the handbook that reflect based around a three-hour church And so we're going to need new handbooks to accommodate all of these changes that are occurring. And so a new handbook is on the way. Um, My gut tells me that maybe as little as a year, uh, but somewhere in the two to three year range. Number 22, when you go to the temple and you hand somebody your temple recommend and they scan the barcode, there is work being done to implement a system where a photograph of you shows up on the temple patron or matron's uh, computer when they check you in. So you would hand your temple recommend over, they would scan it, and an image would be pulled up that would either be the image from your LDS.org profile with the ward clerk verifying that that was you when that picture is added. So anytime you add a photo of yourself or your family someone from the ward clerk office is going to get a notification that an image has been uploaded and they're going to have to approve that image that that's you. Or the other idea being discussed is that when you go to the temple, that the your first time being endowed, um, that the church there will verify uh, through some kind of, you know, your driver's license or ID that you are who you say you are and take a picture of you then that will be connected to your profile every time you go to the temple. And this is being done so that people like Mike Norton have less ability to get other people into the temple when they don't have a current temple recommend, but instead are borrowing someone else's. And so you're going to see the church associate your face with your account when a temple recommend is scanned. Number 23 you are going to begin to see either at the high school level or at the missionary age level, very short service projects. So what will happen is that the stake, every stake will announce, hey, there is this regional project or there is this church-wide project. And your kid, when he's 18 or she's 19 years old, or if if the age has changed, then so be it, but your kid, either in high school or at the missionary age, will be able to sign up to be called on into a three- or six-month service project. So rather than, per se, going on a mission where you go for two years, the church is considering a much shorter time frame, three to six months, where your kid can pay $5,000, go somewhere, go overseas to you know, wherever, and help uh, a community come up with clean water, help a community build a well, help a community rebuild a, a church, whatever it is. And there will be service projects. And again, I don't know the scope of this, and obviously there's liability issues. But the church is trying to figure out a way to give its younger members a positive experience that is also a significant experience for it to not cost a ton For it to be a short-term project, but allow these young people to have dynamic experiences that tie them and bind them to the church. And what's being discussed is so, for instance, you would say like, hey, we're going to send these kids down to Ecuador. And there they're going to do this humanitarian project. They're going to work together. Uh, There will be four or five uh, adult leadership there to watch over them over that time period and to help them have an incredible experience. The hesitation on the church's part is the liability, and the hesitation is the the cost on their end, but they also realize they have to do something to connect these young people more deeply to the church. And so that's one of the things being talked about. Lastly, number 24, is the LGBT issue. And the church, in various places, is having a conversation about how it can be more inclusive. It realizes its position is untenable. The trouble is that some of the older leaders of the church are unwilling to relinquish any ground. So while they are allowing a conversation to take place about how the church can be more inclusive, they are also putting their foot down that the kinds of changes that would be needed to make real change in the church Those changes are off limits and cannot be questioned. But there are conversations taking place about how we as a church can be more inclusive of our LGBTQI brothers and sisters. And so, again, I see that as the last change in this list of changes. But at some point here in the next decade or two, the church is going to have to make some drastic moves, especially as these older leaders die, in terms of finding a way to allow that segment of our membership to stay and to participate in ways that are healthy. So that's what I'm hearing. You can take it. You can leave it. You can make a list and see if these check out over time. Um, But that's the information I'm I'm getting. I'm getting the majority of that from one source and then bits and pieces of it confirmed from other sources. And I think it'll be interesting to sit back and to watch over the next, say, five years and see how much of this list gets checked off. Uh, I'm confident that as time goes on, that we're going to see this play out in a way as to confirm that the information I'm getting is real. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it is interesting to you to have kind of an idea of some of the things that are being discussed at the church and what they're going to do in the future to try to maintain young people and to keep this church strong and vibrant going into the future. And I think we ought to acknowledge that these changes are good. These are healthy changes. These are positive things to do. And so as the church does them, let's give credit where credit is due and acknowledge that those are positive changes. Even if we also stand up and say, the fact that we're making this change now points to the fact that we were doing something unhealthy before. And even as this data points to the idea that these men are much more reactive to a changing world than they are proactive in hearing the voice of God. Until next time, Bill Real here from Mormon Discussion Podcast. May the Lord warm your shoulders. Have a fantastic day.